0: So, we've got a couple little things in whatsy-whosits. Notes and tidbits and... What are tids? Or is tid like a tad? Like a tad bit? Although it wouldn't be tad bits. I mean, can we at least agree it's it's obviously got to be British? It sounds like the most English-sounding thing ever. Tidbit. Have a tidbit of tea, right? Anyone? Hello? Jeez. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person that's willing to engage in a conversation here and if you're not going to be a part of this i don't know if this is going to work out okay but outside of the tidbits i wanted to look at um a couple little interesting notes that i i feel like and maybe i'm twisting numbers to be what i want them to be because i kind of felt like i was doing that but i don't think it's the worst you know either way it's interesting information and statistics that i dug around and found if you don't think it leads to where I'm going to say it leads, then that's fine. At least it's in- interesting information. But I'm going to push it where I want to push it anyways, because we got like a week until the draft, and I'm, uh, you know, maybe Gutekunst is listening, and uh, maybe he's a big fan of the show and values my opinion. Just enough that he's going to do what I say in the draft, but not quite enough to uh, reach out and, and see if I would be willing to be on the staff. Somewhere right in between those two things. Is, uh, is where Gutekunst lies. Not lie, land, it. So anyways, that's what we're going to talk about. A few preliminaries. First of all, learned something new yesterday. If you are texting me from Mexico to my Google Voice, I can read the message. I cannot respond. So uh, I did get a message yesterday. Whoever that was that probably thinks I'm ignoring them, I got it. I just can't respond, and yes, there was an episode yesterday, although if you didn't get that one, you might not be getting this one, but just so you know, you might have to reach out on social media or something if you are outside of the United States of America. Also, shout out to Daniel, I got your uh, voicemail. Thank you, young man, and we'll have to see about the live draft show. Again, I'm still kind of going back and forth on that. I, I, I need to do it, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. Again, my only hang-up is, is my... I, I suppose I could just bring my son down here, but then it's not a live show. It's you guys watching me and my son hang out and watch the draft. I don't feel like anyone would care about that. Although, six people are going to watch the live show anyways, so what does that matter? I don't know. We'll see. My favorite thing on Earth, outside of uh, not following through with things I say I'm going to do, is last-minute decisions. thats It's basically like 1A and 1B with me. 2A is... is uh. My, my cold coffee it's just delicious you know i complain about it but i'll be honest after a couple of years it uh it's pretty good throwing some fake sugar mm. cold instant coffee and aspartame man you want to know what keeps me going in the morning gets me jacked up for the packers don't knock it till you try it Oh, uh, what else um patreon again i didn't think i was being greedy maybe i am but i am gonna set a goal 115 patrons, and I'll be giving away a free t-shirt. What's the t-shirt? I don't know because it's not even designed yet. But again, the two agenda items at this particular juncture are draft shirts for draft picks that we haven't made yet and uh, Tiger King. I would really like to do both of them, so probably what I will do is do mock-ups for the draft prospects. Maybe not all of them because I doubt anyone's going to buy a t-shirt for a seventh round draft pick so it'll either be the class or the first round pick or you know you got to kind of feel it out there's probably going to be somebody that everybody really latches on to maybe somebody with a cool name i don't know again we'll play it by ear but the point is if we get to 115 patrons which is only six more people the winner will be getting a free ter- t-shirt of their choice and i suppose i might as well throw in any t-shirt in the store if, if you like those better than what we have the jair shirt was pretty popular if you haven't seen any of the shirts there is a link in the description but we need six people and again you can jump in for as little as a dollar a month i know i'm asking at the wrong time a lot of people are struggling i'm obviously not asking you but if you're if if it's not going to put you in a bind and you're hoping to support the show that would be greatly greatly appreciated otherwise itunes review or or what is it now apple podcast review whatever it is, review, stitcher review, whatever it is you feel like doing. Oh, you know what else you could do? Ah, never mind. I'm not going to ask for that. Don't mind me talking to myself. I don't know why I don't do a live show. This this whole thing is just off the top of my head anyways and lacks any sort of cohesion. Um, how should we handle this? Let's just take a break now because I don't know how long any of these things are going to take. So we'll take a break. Maybe if there's any even ads anymore. Those probably all dried up. I'm going to make a whopping $6 this month. But we'll be right back and talk about some interesting little tidbits. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view, by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So the first thing I wanted to do was kind of elaborate on that Trent Dilfer thing again. I, I just I wanted to tell you, and then I did not um, have the information in front of me. So let me just run through a couple things that I, that I think he hit on. So he, here are the misses. And again, pretty much all of these are recent, which is, I don't know. First of all, we got to give these people time. But Josh Rosen is a guy that he liked. But even that was kind of wishy-washy. The actual article I found basically said that nobody's going to like Josh Rosen, which could partly explain why he's getting shipped around so quickly. I still to this day think it's ridiculous that you, you draft a guy and then one year later you get rid of him. Now it's, I'm, it's probably working out. But he basically said, look, nobody's going to like this guy because he's just an arrogant whatever. And then the positive was kind of general. He said that uh, at the after the end of four days of kind of working with the guy, he looked him in the eye and said, I think you have exactly what it takes to be special. Don't let people coach it out of you. That was kind of the extent of it. But the the real meat was that he doesn't think people are going to like him at all. Um, he liked Josh Allen. He liked Sam Darnold. I put those in the... The misses column, just, I mean, Sam Darnold most people think is good anyway, so we could probably call that a hit. I just don't think he's been great so far. But he's also on a garbage team. Josh Allen, same thing. He's shown great flashes, but we haven't seen anything yet. Dwayne Haskins, again, he compared to Tom Brady. Now, not necessarily in terms of being that good, but just in terms of his style of play. Plus, again, first-year guy gets thrust into a horrible position and fails. What do you expect? Now, on the flip side, starting in 2010, First of all, and the, some of the most impressive things are, are the things that he got right about people not being good, which again is something I want to start hearing him say again because I'm worried that his whole thing is now he's a you know commentator and he just says, oh yeah, I really like that guy, and just that's all he ever said. And again, the reason I'm bringing this up is because of his Tua comments. But he first of all said he really wasn't that big on Sam Bradford. Now Bradford wasn't terrible, but you got to remember, back at the time when Sam Bradford got drafted, he was huge. And T- Trent Dilfer came out and he was like, I don't really know. And that ad- ended up being a pretty accurate thing. I mentioned Christian Ponder. He went in the first round of the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, Dilfer was like, yeah, this guy's not good. He ha- They actually should have went with Andy Dalton, which again, was a second round pick, which would be similar to, as I said this year... Somebody drafting Herbert and saying, nah, you'd be better off with Fromm, and actually being correct on that. It's a pretty bold take. It doesn't seem bold now because we look backwards and say, of course, but at the time it was. He was in on Cam Newton, which wasn't that surprising. Most people were. He really liked Kirk Cousins, which I think was a hit. I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. Now, I i was the one, see, it's funny. Back when he was with Washington and everyone said he was the greatest quarterback ever, and then he came to Minnesota, it was like, he's not as good as people make him out to be. Now, for some reason, he's playing his best football ever. Literally, last year was his best year ever, and people are like, ha, 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 Kirk Cousins is the worst. It's like, well, I don't know. He's pretty good. Um, Marcus Mariota, another first-round guy, another guy that went early that a lot of people really like. Dilfer was like, mm, I don't think it's going to work out with this guy. That's ai mean, that's a bold thing to say when you're talking about an early first-round prospect, to come out and be like, I just don't see it. I don't think it's going to work, and then it doesn't. I mean, this isn't just a general media member. Most media members, when we're talking about early first-round quarterbacks, they just talk about how great they are and the attributes that they like. Uh, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, he liked both of those guys. I I would say both panned out. You can argue Jared Goff, maybe not as much. One of his biggest hits, I think, was uh, Deshaun Watson. He was enamored with Deshaun Watson and said he deserves to be a top-ten pick. I mentioned Baker Mayfield. I think he was correct about that. And Daniel Jones... I think he actually compared to Christian Ponder. So that was the one from that group that he actually didn't like. So he's not high on everybody. He mentioned he thinks he's kind of a Christian Ponder type. And again, we remember what he said about Christian Ponder. So far, that seems to be correct. Daniel Jones is not panning out to a really high degree. So anyways, I just wanted to give that. That was the actual information that I found going back, looking at all the quarterbacks I could find from the time he became a commentator. I think they're mostly hits. And we got to wait to see about Rosen, Allen, Darnold, Haskins, even Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield. Outside of that, again, TJ Yates and Colt McCoy are the only kind of, kind of misses. So again, my, the, the issue for me, when Trent Dilfer talks about quarterbacks, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm going to listen. So I'm hoping he pipes up about From or Love or some of these guys, because I, I just, I want to know what he says. And beyond that transition nicely into something that uh, Andy Herman had put on Twitter that I found pretty interesting. He wrote out a list of recent quarterbacks taken in picks one through seven. Murray, Jones, Baker, Darnold, Allen, Trubisky, Goff, Wentz, Winston, Mariota, Bortles, Luck, RG3, Newton, and Bradford. Recent quarterbacks selected from 30 to 36, Lamar Jackson, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Lamar kind of tips it a little bit but really how much better is that first group than the second group I mean even if you look at Derek Carr do we even know if Murray's better than Carr Daniel Jones is not better than Carr Baker doesn't seem to be better than Carr Darnold I don't think is maybe maybe it's just because he's on a bad team and he needs time and if he were with another team which not that the Raiders are a good team I don't know Josh Allen is not better Trubisky's not better I don't necessarily think Goff is better he's he's been better But a lot of that, I think, had to do with the system. Um, Carson Wentz is probably, let's see, well, and and Andrew Luck. So Wentz is solid. Winston did not pan out. Mariota was not good. Bortles was terrible. Luck was incredibly good, just the injury issues. RG3 was not good. Cam was good, although he's seemingly basically done already. I don't know if he's just that broken already or what. And then Sam Bradford was, you know, showed flashes, I guess, but never really panned out. The point is... It's, it, it hasn't been the worst crop in the world, I guess in my mind, and the reason I like this tweet, and I, I didn't verify it, but I'm assuming he knows how to Google things, so I'm going to trust that this is an accurate list and he's not just leaving people out. In my mind, if you're picking a quarterback in one through seven, astronomically higher probability you're going to get a starting quarterback than at 30. That doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. Again, you're not going to get an Andrew Luck at 30. But, you know, Derek Carr... And Lamar is, I mean, again, I still want to see what the whole body of work is going to be for him. We've we've seen one year, but again, depending on the metrics you want to use, arguably the best year from any quarterback in the history of, of football. That was, its a really crazy kind of case study. Because clearly nobody really believed he could be this, including the Baltimore Ravens. Remember, they took a tight end in the first round and then later traded back in to get Lamar. If the Baltimore Ravens thought that Lamar could be anywhere near what he is, they would have traded up from their original spot and got him earlier. Nobody is going to risk losing this guy. I think it's just one of those things where if everything could come together perfectly, you know that this could be a ceiling. But the odds of him actually being able to do what he did, unbelievably low. And there's probably been a ton of guys that are similar to Lamar, that are blazing fast, that have shown flashes with their arms but it's it's just you just don't really think it's all going to actually be, you know, Michael Vick 2.0. And by 2.0, I mean new and improved. And you just don't want to really risk it. But anyways, I'm going off on an unnecessary tangent. Point is for those people that are either very pro or very against quarterback for whatever reason. I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. Again, I didn't even think to look at that. And again, I I don't know which group as a group you would say is necessarily better. Now, obviously there's These are pretty random numbers, right? From 1 to 7 and 30 to 36. I mean, what happens when you make it 1 to 10 and 30 to 40? I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do that. But either way, again, interesting. Um, I wanted to address a tweet that some of you might have seen. I know Nagler uh, retweeted it. Lincoln Riley, a couple of days ago, wrote, Packer, wink face, uh, hashtag future. And so... Lincoln Riley you know when you look at this and you try to think about what the heck is he doing first of all he didn't say Packers as in the team he said Packer as in we're talking about an individual is a Packer and then when you put in hashtag future the obviously everyone's first thought is Lincoln Riley is going to be a Packer but obviously that's ridiculous because the only way that would be possible is if right now um Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst are having conversations with Lincoln Riley behind the scenes and planning to replace Matt LaFleur with Lincoln Riley because there's no way he's coming over as an offensive coordinator. So that doesn't really make any sense. Well, could he be talking about CeeDee Lamb? What could he possibly be talking about? Well, I found the explanation because I knew this didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Especially, I mean, even if you had the Packers saying, look, we're, we're, we're taking Jalen Hurts at 30 and they told you that, then they told you that in confidence. And you tweeting about this is not going to be great, even though it's completely, you know, mysterious and nobody could probably figure it out. But here is the actual situation for those of you that saw it and are thinking that something big is about to happen. Essentially, this was actually meant to be a reply, not just a standalone tweet. Green Bay Packers linebacker Curtis Bolton had a child. Curtis Bolton's former coach used to be Lincoln Riley. So Lincoln Riley intended to reply to Curtis Bolton, who said, quote My son, eight weeks out, is honestly—I'm so hyped to have him, a mini me. So he's about to have a son, anyways. He's having a little kid. He's excited. Lincoln Riley was trying to comment on that, basically a future Packer, which is still a little bit weird, right? You, why wouldn't you say a former Sooner? You know, wink. But I, I don't know. Or future Sooner. Did I say former? Whatever. You get what I'm saying. But that—that that is, what that was. At least that is what is assumed to be, and that is what I'm going to say is absolutely, it was meant to be. Again, if anybody was wondering, there you go. There was a statement put out by the NFLPA, in other news, talking about virtual OTAs. Quote, Both our executive committee and board of players reps have voted unanimously to approve a virtual off-season program up until the start of training camp. We will be sending out all the details and setting up calls with players and agents for how this will work shortly. The only real takeaway I have from any of this is that if there is a football season, wow, this is going to be sloppy. <laughs> I mean, you thought the first couple weeks were usually bad because of the you know, the whole preseason thing? I mean, man, we don't even have guys going to the facilities anymore. So they're doing a, a Skype chat with the coach, and you get the strength and conditioning guy on there like, hey, man, you doing your push-ups? She's like, oh, yeah, big time, man, totally doing push-ups. You don't even know, man. I feel like all I do is push-ups. It's crazy. He's not even looking at the screen. You know, he's looking past his computer because behind his computer, he's got his giant 80-inch television, and right under his computer is his bag of Cheetos. I'll be completely honest, man. This Skype call is uh, kind of interrupting my push-ups here, so I'm going to let you go. I've only done like a billion today, so I don't know. It is what it is. It's better than nothing, I guess. Another big negative that should probably be brought out is the fact that the people that are going to be most hit by this are the the younger players. We're putting a lot of stock in rookies coming in and helping out, and the fact that they're not going to be able to set foot on the facility up until who knows when. I mean, there's only so much you can teach, again, over a Skype call. You know, I'm going to send you a PDF version of the playbook, and we'll call you, and you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit on the board. It'll be a group Zoom session or whatever. And then if you have any questions, raise your hand, and I'll get to you. You know, and then you're a rookie and you don't want to sound dumb. So you're like, I'm not a And then he just doesn't know anything, which is especially, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm, I'm just laying out a negative. And of course, this is, it's, I'm not saying anything about just the Pets. It's equally bad for all teams, but this is especially hard for the young guys. And it's not necessarily just the rookies. I mean, Rashawn Gary would really benefit from some one-on-one work. I mean, I know he's working hard. I got no doubt about his, his effort level. He's not sitting around eating Cheetos. He's the one guy that I have confidence in that's not doing that. Literally, I mean, if, if you told me, pick one guy on the Green Bay Packers who's out training and not doing anything crazy, Rashawn is that guy. But he needs that in-person stuff. I mean, he, he's, he especially is, they're trying to coach him up to, to do a certain thing. And again, there's only so much he can do at his house. And so Jay Sternberger, Rashan Kingsley. KJ Hamler. <laughs> they they're going to need some time and they're just not uh, not going to get as much as usual. So, you, you, there might be might be a lag in terms of production from from rookies and young players. Hopefully not, but something to keep in mind. Moving on, a little bit more uh, good news out of Detroit. Good news for us that is. It's an article here out of nflupdate.co. That says Damon Harrison, also known as Snacks Harrison, says he was hellbent on getting out of Detroit. Goes on to say Harrison, who was released by the Lions on Friday, 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 in February, said on the Greenlight podcast, blah, 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 that he never felt comfortable playing in Matt Patricia's defense and had to get out of Detroit, even though he respects Patricia as a coach. Quote, I came into camp in shape, but during the first three weeks of camp, I think I worked myself out of shape because I wasn't doing anything. That was a time where, to be honest with you, we were trying to facilitate a trade. I was hell-bent on getting out of there. He goes on to say, to be completely honest with you, I didn't want to go to Detroit because of some things I heard from some guys in the past and some guys who were there. So when I got the call that that's where I was traded, I didn't answer the phone for a couple hours. Bob Quinn was calling me and I didn't pick up the phone because I was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. It's nothing against the people of Detroit, the city, or anything like that. I'll forever love the city of Detroit, but I just had to try to put myself into a situation where I saw myself there for two or three years to end my career, and I just didn't see myself doing that in Detroit for very long. Ouch! And, and, and listen, this isn't anything we don't know. Detroit is a mess. Nobody wants to play for this coach. This also just goes to how poorly Detroit does it at vetting people. How did you not know through the vetting process, nobody, and when when he says, I found out from people in the past as well as people who are there, meaning this this has been known, this issue with Patricia, he didn't just say, I found out from people in Detroit, because it just became a problem in Detroit, he said people in Detroit and people in the past, meaning players already knew they didn't like playing for Matt Patricia. How did Detroit not know that? How did you not vet that? Players don't like playing for him to such a degree that after after he gets traded, Snacks Harrison who's getting a phone call from somebody who's all gleeful. "Hey man, we just traded for you. Just wanted to reach out and say hey man, we're so excited." He can't even get himself to answer the phone. He's freaking out in his house like, "How do I get out of this? I got to figure out a way out of this." He's calling his agent, man, like, "You got to get me out of this. I don't want to go there." That uh, dude, it's time to shut it down like now find a new coach go call Lincoln Riley say I'll give you whatever you want it's not like you guys don't have money give him 15 million dollars and a new F150 ford family you know it's it's fine i mean you know i'm kind of kidding about that but this is just a night and again they don't see it it's almost as if this this whole football thing is just it's kind of low on the list of priorities and again i mentioned that with buffalo same thing these guys they've they've got these multi-billion dollar endeavors and their football teams are just eh. again what what is it pagula i lied it's not his daughter it just looks like his daughter it's his wife kim and i'm not trying to say kim isn't a smart person i'm sure she's a very very intelligent person here's the point kim pagula and I, i'm sorry i keep going down this path but just remember this is all about how lucky we are that this isn't up kim pagula brilliant businesswoman i'm sure is president and CEO of Pagula Sports and Entertainment. That's one job. She is president of the Buffalo Bills, and she is president of the Buffalo Sabres. Really? And it's, I mean, listen, it's not as if she's a president in name only, and there's somebody else who's actually a president that's, you know, in charge of just the Buffalo Bills. No, Terry Pagula is the owner and CEO. Kim Pagula is the owner and president. She is the Mark Murphy of the Buffalo Bills. Under her is Brandon Bean, who is the general manager. Detroit, you've got what a lot of teams have, which is just an ego problem. And it's Buffalo as well. I'm the owner, my wife is is the president. Cool. The Detroit Lions. How does this ship run? Martha Firestone Ford, the executive underneath her, Martha Ford, Sheila Ford, William Clay Ford, and Elizabeth Ford. That's interesting. However, they also have a team president who is not a ford by the name of rod wood who is rod wood he is a businessman and so you have a business family that sees a really good businessman and says come in here and run my business i mean in the early 2000s he held an executive position with comerica bank where he oversaw 12 offices in four states what in the world does that have to do with running a football team after that he was vice president of wealth management for the wilmington trust company he also worked closely with the Detroit Lions organization and the Ford family in a, in the role of president and CEO of Ford Estates. Look, he's he's a business guy. He he is Mark Murphy has a dual role. He's got the football side, he's got the business side. And he has experience in both, but a little bit more on the football side, I would say. I'm sure Rod is doing a great job as a businessman, branding the financial aspects of it, but nobody there And this is the point, and I I, I keep going down this road, but it it just baffles me. I'm sorry. The point is, you find the general manager. Then you have to look above the general manager and say, who is in charge of finding the general manager? There has to be a person at the top, generally the president, who is a football guy. There has to be a football guy above the GM that's able to look at this and say, listen, on a football level, this isn't working. Somebody who has connections, somebody who has their ear to the ground, who can make decisions and find out things like, oh, I don't know, this coach wouldn't work out very well because nobody likes playing for him. The Lions don't have that. They have a, a an investment banker who is helping to run their estate. And so this thing's being run into the ground and nobody can even see it. I don't know. Anyways, um, so Snacks Harrison said it's a night, and, and the other good thing about it, again, not that we didn't necessarily know... But it just confirms nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be there, and you keep seeing things, and I, I'm starting to sympathize more with these players because I used to look at it and be like, you know what, you guys need to quit being crybabies. Because occasionally you'll see, you know, guys actually like tweeting out like, "Get me out of here," and it's like, what do you do? Why would you do that? But some of these places are just terrible, and so again, coming back to the Green Bay Packers and looking at what, you know, I I remember being baffled when I heard about hiring Matt LaFleur and how he, he fits our culture and all this stuff about culture. And it's like, but is he a good coach? You keep talking about culture and personality. And is he going to fit with the locker room? Is he going to fit with us? Like, dude, I, I understand you got to work next to the guy and you want him to be a cool guy and all, but I kind of want to win a Super Bowl. But you see how important that is. And again, you look at what the Packers did in that locker room, what Matt LaFleur did to that locker room. It does matter, especially in today's NFL where, you know, you can't just belittle and berate guys and they just deal with it. They're not going to deal with it. These are multi, multi millionaires who just don't care anymore. They have way too much power to put up with your nonsense. And they just won't. If they don't like you, they're just going to complain until they get out. They don't have to care. They're too rich to have to care. And so being liked is a part of the buy in, right? You want, you know, Snacks Harrison. He had a terrible year with Detroit. Why? Well, part of it might have been scheme part of it was he was saying there were you know some other thing that came up and that was that his wife was having issues so he had a hard time with with focus but that was mostly during training camp but a lot of it is just he just doesn't want to be there he's out on the field thinking i got to get out of here this is a really really good football football player and it also speaks to the fact that you can't just pay a guy and expect him to come over and be exactly what he was you got scheme fit you've also got buy in you, you don't want to bring a guy over that doesn't want to be this is possibly a problem with trades which is another issue I, I'm not trading for a guy unless I get him on the phone first. Apparently Detroit doesn't operate that way. They trade for a guy, and then they call him up, and they're like, hey, what's up, man? If I'm, and maybe this just isn't general practice, but if I'm trading for a guy, I want to get him on the phone, and I want to feel him out. Because, look, there are some guys who don't want to play in Green Bay. Like, it's a small town. I want to be in a big city. It's cold. I don't want to play in the cold. Find that out first. Because you get a guy, you trade, and you're giving up capital. You're giving up, you know, players. You're giving up draft picks. Whatever it is you're giving up, and you have a guy coming here who instantly his first thought is, i got to get out of here? That's basic due diligence. At least communicate with the—if you don't want it to just get all over the place and talk to the player directly, talk to the player's agent and say, look, man, just let me—I mean, wh- what are his thoughts about coming here? We're very interested. We want to know if he wants to come here. The Detroit Lions didn't even do that basic level of due diligence. Hey, how does he feel about coming here? The agent would be able to communicate and say, look, he just he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to play there. And then you just don't do it. I don't care what his PFF grade is, or what, however you assess things, which I wouldn't be shocked if some of these teams are that level of incompetent that they're checking out PFF, like, oh, he's really good. Again, not trashing PFF, but you should have a higher standard as an NFL team, I would think. It's it's, it's just glorious, though, because the Detroit Lions are in the NFC North, and the Bears aren't super far behind in terms of um, questionable decision-making. I mean, it, look, it's, it's not a coincidence that the Packers have been at the top of the division for almost my entire lifetime well at least since the 2000 I mean geez since 2002 there have been eight times that the Packers didn't win the division one two three four five six seven eight nine ten times that they did win the division and zero times has it been the Lions Lions haven't won the division since 93 literally (laughs) since 1992 the Buccaneers have won the division as many times as the Lions that's just hilarious to me Anyways, the final thing I wanted to look at, and, and I'm sure you can look at this from a couple different angles, but the question I had was, what can you glean from personnel and some advanced statistics to, to inform what we should do in the draft? Let me, let me elaborate. First of all, a little groundwork here. So primarily, the, the, I shouldn't. it's less than 50%, it's 44%, but it is the most prominent personnel grouping. It's, it's 11 personnel. One running back, one uh, tight end, three wide receivers. That is what the Packers do more than anything else. Now, they don't do it necessarily as much as other teams because it's the most prominent in in the NFL, and for most teams, that is the predominant uh, alignment. Uh, the Vikings and the 49ers are, are a couple teams that are very rare in that they it's not their number one personnel. The Packers also, about 1% of the time, are in what's called 20 personnel. So two running backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. So about 45% of the time, they have three wide receivers. About 43% of the time, they have two wide receivers. And around 12% of the time, they've got uh, just one wide receiver out there. And the the reason I started with this was the question of, again, I really like K.J. Hamler. The biggest problem, though, is that he's strictly a slot guy. He's Randall Cobb. Remember, there was a year in which Jordy Nelson got hurt, and we had to push Randall Cobb out to the outside. He was not a good wide receiver when we had to do that. That's just not his thing. And so the biggest question I have, and a lot of objections that people would have, is that the Packers predominantly play and like to play two wide receiver sets. First point, not necessarily. They are in three wide less than 50% of the time, but most, more often than not, still not the right way to say it, more often than any other alignment, they are in three wide sets, more than two wide receivers, more than one wide receiver. And they never once lined up in four or five wide, which is also somewhat interesting because it it kind of goes to the other point, which is maybe part of the reason that they're not in three wide as much is part because they just, I mean, if you don't have, it's about putting the best 11 people on the field. And if you don't have good wide receivers, why are you putting more out there? So I know generally this scheme, you like more tight ends and running back. You know, kind of like the 49ers run, kind of like Minnesota. You want to be a little bit more like that. Minnesota's top alignment is 21. Two running backs, one tight end. That's the same with Minnesota. Minnesota's also in 12 personnel more than they're in 11 personnel. So that's the first thing. Kind of want to dispel the idea that there's no point in getting a slot guy because they just use two wide receivers most of the time. Now, I don't disagree that it would be better to get a guy like Justin Jefferson, who is great out of the slot, but also can be your number one. Kind of like Jair, right? when you draft him you see him as a slot guy but really because he's so good he's going to end up when you got two wide receivers it's going to be Devonte and jefferson when you go three wide you can slide jefferson in the slot and then you have Devonte funchess and jefferson i agree that that's going to be the the best situation but I, I still don't think it would be the worst idea to get a strictly a slot guy let's look at something else now now that we've laid that groundwork if you look at success rates and I'll be honest, I don't know how this is exactly calculated, what they mean by success, but we'll call it success rates nonetheless. The Green Bay Packers, on first down, have the highest success rate running the ball of any team in football. 54% of the time. Again, I don't know exactly what success is. I'm guessing it's it's dependent on situation, so maybe first and ten success is four yards. I don't know. But the Green Bay Packers are number one. Actually, I think I have the answer. I found it. A play is successful when it gains at least 40% of yards to go on 1st down, 60. Yeah, so 4 yards on 10. That's exactly what I said. On 1st down, I mean. 60% of yards to go on 2nd down, 100% on 3rd and 4th down. So there you go. That's what success rate is. And again, on 1st down, the Green Bay Packers are number 1 in getting at least 4 yards. That's awesome. Here's the issue. The Packers rank 19th throwing the ball on 1st down. 2nd down, the Packers rank 10th while running the ball. Still not bad. The Packers are 23rd throwing the ball on 2nd down. If you look at 3rd down, suddenly Green Bay goes to 30th on the ground, but 14th while throwing. And then on 4th down, again, Green Bay 20th while running the ball, 5th while throwing. So if the Packers, if, if you wanted the Packers to improve, where, where would it be? Probably running the ball in later downs, 3rd and 4th down, and throwing the ball on 1st and 2nd down. Those seem to be weaknesses to me. So if I'm looking at running the ball, for example, I talk about guys that I like, uh, Anthony McFarlane, that's my guy. However, and and this would require more in-depth of a look, but just off the top of your head, when you're talking about first and 10, first of all, you're talking about the threat of a pass, but you're also talking about generally a little bit more space. When you're talking about third and two or fourth and one, everything gets to be a little bit more condensed. Maybe... Part of the problem is Aaron Jones isn't the biggest guy in the world, so maybe you are looking at a guy like AJ Dillon or you know an Eddie Lacy type that can kind of push the pile a couple of years. I know Jamal isn't terrible at it, but I, in other words, that's that's my way of what I'm saying is informing what we do based on actual statistics as opposed to just, I really like this guy. And again, I don't know definitively that we just need a banger to help on third down run of the ball. Obviously, Aaron Jones was incredible in the red zone. He was almost automatic getting a touchdown when we got down there. So it doesn't seem to be a problem, but that's just an example. Now, throwing the ball. On first and second down, the Packers are not very good at throwing the football. Later downs, when, it, when you need that third down completion for a first down, these heroic... Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams just have a mind meld, right? They just get it done, or Jimmy, or whoever it is that ends up getting it. Rodgers, at least last year, had the ability to convert third and fourth downs at a a relatively high rate. But getting the the ball rolling through the air early has just been a problem. And I really don't know what could be better than getting a Randall Cobb-type guy. I'm not talking about a game buster. I'm not talking about Jalen Rager streaking down the sideline getting a 40-yard pass completion. I'm talking about a guy like K.J. Hamler, who's automatic coming off the line of scrimmage and just getting that quick slant for seven yards. And again, if, 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 if you think Justin Jefferson can do that, great. And if he's available, great. LaVisca Chenault is another one that probably is going to help you. But I just feel like, and I feel like we all have seen this, the Packers kind of struggle to just get the ball rolling. Once it's rolling, it's awesome. But a lot of times you've got to get the ball rolling running because far too often you get that first and 10 becomes second and 10, or they're trying to do a screen or something else just to try to get this thing moving. But how often do you just see a solid forward pass on first down for like eight-ish yards? I just think that's been kind of lacking. And the biggest problem is we have Devontae and not really a whole bunch else. And the guys that we do have are big, tall, fast guys. Everything we have is about down the field. Everything we do, and I think everything Rodgers wants to do, and everything this team seems to be built for, is run 20 yards down the field and I'll launch it up to. You should be able to run past them because you're fast. If not, you're really tall, so I should be able to launch it up to and you and you should be able to get it. I like K.J. Hamler, and again, if it's somebody else that you like, that's fine, but what I'm talking about is a guy that's going to come off the line of scrimmage, get that initial separation, be wide open just for that split second, and who can catch the ball, grab another 2-3 to three yards, and get taken down. That is such a, an essential thing to get the Packers from 1st and 10 to 2nd and 3 consistently, and to also have that threat of having a great running game on 1st down. We, how many times have we heard that, that, that whenever the Packers lose, the problem is we had a hard time getting into 3rd and longs. Every single time the Packers lose, it's a fact that we couldn't do a good enough job on 1st and 2nd down to get us into 3rd and manageable situations. Every time. With, I mean, also an issue is usually the defense was garbage. But that's always a consistent problem. When things are going well, they get a good chunk on first and second down. When things are not going well, they don't do anything on first and second down. I, I just think, again, I'm not necessarily just thinking about, and you could do this with a tight end. You could have Jay Sternberger steps up or whatever. It can help. But I, I just I just think about how automatic Randall Cobb was. How autom- That little slant was just automatic. And it seems so ridiculous because a three-step drop and he threw the ball. And Randall Cobb comes off the line, and it feels like it should be a two-yard completion. But when it's all said and done, by the time you know he's running at an angle, by the time the ball gets there and he catches it, and even falls forward for two or three yards, it, it ends up being about seven or eight. It's a huge play. So again, just using the the actual statistics of it, I, I really think having a way. To move the sticks on first down, and, and listen, I really like Lavisca Chenault, and I think you can do some stuff, especially with these wide receiver screens and being able to get him moving or in the backfield or kind of gadgety stuff. But but for me, the the biggest thing that I want more than I want a T. Higgins that's going to catch a 40-yard pass three times a game or Jalen Rager even, and, and again, maybe he can be that guy. Anybody that you think can do what I'm saying, I'm fine with. I'm not trying to argue about which guy. For me, it's Hamler, but I acknowledge the issue about him only being a slot guy, and that is a problem, because when you do two wide, you got Devontae and Funchess, and it kind of forces you to do three wide receivers to get that one guy out there. That is a problem. But the point is, I don't want to have to rely on wide receiver screens or deep passes constantly. Because those big plays happen like two to three times a game. And you don't win and lose games based on those one or two big plays. It's about, you know, again, go back and look at those Packer games that I was highlighting. And I completely forgot I was supposed to be giving you top. We'll we'll pick up on that tomorrow. Uh, Awesome games to watch. But go back and watch those games. The point is, it's consistent pressure all the way down the field. They're just consistently moving the ball. And I think the Packers have struggled with that. Consistently moving the ball down the field with very little effort they just make it look easy there's too many weapons i mean they didn't even have a run game at the time and they still they had so many weapons through the air that it just didn't matter you couldn't stop them and i think that is the one thing that's missing and and, and devonte can do this the problem is if it's just devonte they can take it away they i mean if he's just killing you on these little slant routes they they can just double cover the guy and he's not going to be open on a slant route and i think a lot of the time what they're going to do is try to take that away cuz he's such a good route runner they want him to push the ball down the field and he can win down the field but the point is we we want to extend the play we want rodgers in the pocket longer we want if Devontae's the first look to kinda scare him, you know, we, we're gonna bracket him, make it look like he's not open, force Rogers to look in a different direction at another guy that's probably not gonna be open because he's not a very good wide receiver. And we're gonna win that way. But if you have just it just one more guy that's got that level of I mean, he can't do everything Devontae can do, but at least insofar as those quick little route and, and and again remember, KJ Hamler is blazing fast. Can you imagine with him just being dominant on a slant and then you just throw in a sluggo? right, slant and go, which is he's running a slant, and then he just shoots straight up the field. So when you try to take away that slant route, what are you going to do? The, the 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 slot corner can't keep up with it. And so you see him going on a slant, and you have somebody crash down on him. So as either a safety or a linebacker or whoever is trying to come up to take that away, you send him flying up the field. Nobody's going to touch him, especially if it's a safety. If they've got a safety trying to come down to take that away, it's game over. So, I you know, I don't know. Again, that's my sales pitch for KJ. I'm, I, I legitimately am worried about having a guy that's just a slot receiver, but at the same time, I kind of miss it. And I, I, and I do think it makes sense based on what it is we struggle with. Early down passing. Again, in order to be successful, all you need is four yards through the air to be successful. The Packers are 19th. I mean, Chicago is 10th, for crying out loud. Minnesota's 16th, which isn't much better. It's middle of the pack, but it's still better than us. Then you compare it with San Francisco as fifth, Kansas City is sixth. I mean, teams that you want to compete with, what's an area you got to get better with? Where, where do you need to get better? Win on first. I mean, that, that answers so many questions. When you win on first down, and and this is, again, we've been hearing this forever. This is what we hear at the podium constantly. When you get yourself into second and third and manageable, I mean, if you're in a second and four, that whole playbook is wide open, especially now if you have weapons, especially if Jace takes a step and you got a guy like Hamler or Jefferson or whoever it is, I don't care, Chenault and Devontae and Aaron Jones, and you're in second and four. That that I mean, as a defense, it's almost like, all right, let's just give him the first down and let's try this again because this isn't going to work. We're not going to stop him from getting a first down here. Hopefully next time after they get the first down, we'll stop them, and then you get a second down. You know we'll, we'll try again for that third and long. But I think uh, on a sort of a micro-zoomed-in level, the ability to win on first down I think is going to be critical. And again, second down is even worse. Second down, the goal is to be to at least get to um, third and four, right? Because you want to get 60% of the way to the first down marker. So if it's, if it's second and 10, you need to get six yards. The Packers are 23rd meaning on second down most of the time, only 42% of the time they get within 60% of a first down. So most of the time they fail at putting themselves in a third and manageable situation. And again, when the Packers fail, the first thing Matt LaFleur says when he goes to the to the podium is that we weren't able to get ourselves into third and manageable situation. That has to change. I think that needs to be a primary focus and and again, for me, that kind of eliminates certain guys, and I mean, you know, maybe if you think certain guys can do it, but I'm looking at T. Higgins or any of these guys that are primarily field stretchers as not my primary, right? Jalen Rager, as far as what he can do outside of just running 40 yards down the field, it's a great asset, but I need to know how you can help us go from first and 10 to second and four. What is your ability to do that? I, I believe Ayuk can do it. Great route runner. He's, he's sort of like a Devonte type guy. Of course he can do it. Justin Jefferson, I believe, can do it especially since he can be a slot guy. He's a good route runner. KJ, I think, would be ideal outside of not being able to play in two wide receivers. Presumably, maybe he can. I don't know. I'm, I'm just assuming he's strictly a slot guy. I mean, at five foot eight, I mean, even if a guy like Henry Ruggs fell and I know the, the idea is he's he's blazing fast, but he's also a good route runner. I, I don't know. I just worry about a guy like that that he's strictly going to be beneficial, you know on that third and two. When you stack the box and then send send rugs flying down the field past somebody on a little play action, I don't know. Maybe Henry Ruggs will be fine. I mean, obviously, just coming, you know, running a, a shallow cross or whatever, he's gonna fly past somebody. I'm sure he'll be able to help out, but he just he wouldn't be my first option. You know, Mims again. I I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of Mims at all. But I definitely don't see him as a big first down I mean I first of all I don't see a lot of separation from Mims despite being really big and really fast so I I I don't know Ayuk I think is solid for me it just kind of solidifies those guys and and listen I I was talking yesterday about the fact that separation is the biggest thing for me anyways for wide receivers and the guys that have it are going to be my favorite wide receivers the guys that don't I just don't and whatever nuance is in between that separation that I'm just not appreciating enough so be it right I'm not as high as on CD Lamb as most people well He doesn't run away from people. He's supposedly a great route runner. The only time I see him doing anything is when he pushes off. But whatever, he's got body control. Cool, all right. Jerry Judy, obviously phenomenal route runner, is able to get separation. He's going to be long gone, though. Henry Ruggs can beat people with speed, but that's deep separation. I want you to be able to separate right off the line of scrimmage, which Jerry Judy can do, K.J. Hamler can do, I think Ayuk can do it. Maybe Chenault. I, I don't exactly remember. I, there were so many facets that I really liked about him. I don't really remember beating people off the line of scrimmages being one of them. But, you know, gaining extra yards, I'm, I'm sure, would not be a huge issue for him. But again, I don't want to just rely on wide receiver screens to win on first down, which seems to be the only real way the Packers have success on first down throwing the ball, and it's just kind of getting annoying. I mean, it's cool that they're so successful with it, but it's kind of annoying that, come on, man, is that really the only first down play you've got? So, anyways... um, I'm going to try to poke around on a couple other things to see, you know, maybe we can look at linebacker or whatever. I did actually have a little bit on that, but we're kind of out of time. So, anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.